Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This podcast is proudly brought to you by Monday Distillery. Monday Distillery are purveyors of beautiful non-alcoholic beverages. Live on your own terms, be true to you, and drink what's good for your body and soul. Are you sick of feeling controlled by alcohol? Do you want to drink less? Do you wake up on a Sunday morning feeling really anxious and full of regret? I'm Danny Carr and welcome to my podcast, How I Quit Alcohol. Hi and welcome back to How I Quit Alcohol. Today in the Zoom room, I'm joined by Nat Vitalia. How are you, Nat? Natalie or Nat? Nat. I much prefer Nat. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, you're so welcome. I've got a sister called Natalie and she likes to be called Nat as well. I think she feels like she, same as me, I'm Danielle, but if people, I'd never get called Danielle unless I'm in trouble. So yeah. I'm exactly the same. If I get Natalie, I wonder what I've done wrong. So Nat, <laughs> let's go with Nat. We're staying with Nat. And so Nat, thank you. Yeah. Thank you for coming on. I've been following your page, The Mindful Mocktail for oh, quite a while now. And I'm Stoked to finally, you know, connect and and get you on the show because I love what you do and I love all the suggestions of all the the beautiful mocktails and all the alternatives that there are for an alcohol-free life. So, yeah, thank you for what you do. It's so awesome. And just the fact that there's people like you out there makes it a whole lot easier for people on this journey. So thank you. Such a pleasure. It's honestly one of the, this might sound really corny, but it's one of the highlights of my life, what I do with the Mindful Mocktail. It's it's like my pride and joy. It's like my second baby away from my two little boys. Oh, I love it. It's, it's so valuable. So tell us a bit about your journey. I'm interested in your journey with alcohol. When did you start drinking and, and how did it progress? Sure, sure. Well, if we go back to the beginning, 
basically, you know, I was a child in the 80s. So I grew up around a lot of alcohol all the time. Um, My parents um, both drank quite a bit. And obviously, it's not a blame game or anything like that. My parents and I have had lots of conversations about, I guess, the environment in which, um, you know, I was raised. And to be honest, the environment was a very safe, loving, caring home but there was just alcohol always present so whether we were celebrating or commiserating you know anything would be an excuse to to pop the bottle and essentially as I grew up I guess I sort of you know watching that as a child you know you watch these things as a child and you just think that that's that's normal So when I grew up and I moved out of home, I essentially adopted those same drinking habits. So I would drink almost every day. I would finish work. I would have a bottle of wine. The boyfriend I was with at the time that I'd moved out with, he drank quite heavily too. And, you know, on the weekends, I would go out with my friends. We would party all weekend. Sometimes we'd do Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night. And, you know, there was lots of heavy drinking involved there. But, you know, when I look back, to be really honest, they were some of the best times of my life. You know, back then it really didn't, it really wasn't an issue. It was never anything I looked at and thought, gosh, this is becoming a problem because it was just what I did. And to be honest, it was what most of my friends did as well. So when um, basically I separated from that relationship and I, a few months went by and I met somebody new and the difference with him was he, um, he didn't really drink at all. He's my now husband. And it wasn't that he didn't drink because he didn't, you know, like drinking or disapproved of drinking or anything like that. He just really hadn't been brought up in an environment where drinking almost every day was the norm. So these two contrasts, you know, where I thought he was the odd one and he thought I was the odd one. Um, And once again, it never really caused a whole heap of, you know, conflict or problems or anything like that. We would go out. He was always the driver. I was always the drinker. That was just how our relationship worked. I wasn't what you would call, you know, like a messy drunk, you know. Drinking didn't cause huge fights. There was nothing like that. It was all sort of I drank a lot. I drank most days. Sometimes I almost think that's more dangerous you know because these things creep up on you when you're super high functioning and it's not causing massive problems anywhere else in your life you just think well this isn't a problem then it's not causing an issue in my relationship and it's not causing an issue with my work I was still I was working really hard Um, I had a good job and when it changed was when we had the kids so I had two little boys, um, they're two years apart, and I was not one of those people that embraced motherhood and did it well in the beginning. I really, really struggled with the transition, you know, and we had trouble conceiving, so there were lots of thoughts around, why do you feel this way, Nat? You know, this is what you've wanted for years. You've wanted these children for years. And and I had lots of issues, you know, breastfeeding and just the whole adjustment was really difficult. And I found myself feeling quite resentful of 
you know, the life that I'd come from to the life that I was, you know, in now. Um, and I feel even now talking about it, it makes me feel guilty. Really? Wow. I had someone else on the podcast recently and exactly, exactly the same words came out of her mouth. Yeah. This guilt that women get, especially if they don't embrace it or they don't love it. And it's not this sort of like, like it is on Instagram and you know, it's fucking hard. It is so hard when you have kids and no one tells you that when you I was talking to a mum the other day around the corner, I could hear her yelling at her kids to trying to get them into the car. And I'm like, do you remember how we like, we really wanted them? <laughs> She's like, I can't fucking remember that. <laughs> so, but yeah, it's a thing for sure. And yeah. And I understand that. And that, that guilt is, it's really full on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So basically, you know, because I was feeling this sort of resentment towards the life that I had left behind, I, and, you know, I was missing the social life and, you know, going out on the weekends and everything else. So I, I kept up the same drinking pace, but I was doing it at home by myself. So I had gone from going out with friends, downing, a couple of bottles of wine. I know it's still not great, but that's what I did. But I'd gone from downing, you know, a couple of bottles of wine on a night out um, and enhancing an already good experience, a social experience. You know, I was I was out with everybody else to standing at the kitchen bench, folding the washing, downing a bottle of red wine before my husband got home. And, and that's when it became an issue and... Mm-hmm. This crept up over a period of, you know, two or three years and it went from me, you know, drinking alone at home to starting to put the recycling bin out. My husband thought that I was a fantastic wife because I would take the recycling bin out. (laughs) But really I just didn't want him to feel the weight of it. I didn't want him to realise how much I had been drinking. Mm. He would come home from work and I would go over to the cupboard to, you know, open my first bottle of wine for the night. (laughs) In inverted commas. Yes. Mm. Really, I had already had a bottle before he even got home. Yeah, well. And I was doing things like instead of having my wine glass out on the bench in full view of the kids and my husband, I would keep it in the cupboard. You know, I had like this drinking cupboard mm. and I would stand there and I would refill the wine glass and I would stand there drinking in the cupboard instead of drinking it in front of the kids and my husband. And the funny thing is when I look back on that, my husband is such an easygoing guy. I was able to hide my drinking very, very well. I've always been told you can't tell when I've had, you know, a bottle. So it never would have caused an issue with my husband and I I don't think if he knew how much I was actually drinking. So really the person I was hiding it from was myself. I knew that I was doing the wrong thing. You know, I knew that standing there folding the washing downing a bottle of red was not normal and that hiding it was not normal. And then it all came to a head one day. So, you know, as I said, this sort of built up over a period of time um, and I knew I was doing the wrong thing by hiding it um, and, you know, taking the bins out and all the rest of it. And 
then one, it was about just over two years ago now, my grandmother passed away and I'd been put in charge of doing her, you know, the slideshow of photos and videos that play at funerals. So I'd been put in charge of doing her um, presentation. So I'd taken a bottle of, it was a Saturday afternoon, so my husband was home, and I'd taken a bottle of champagne up into our study and I had all the photos there and I'd said to my husband, I need a few hours to get this done. It's due on Monday. You know, just give me a few hours to get this done. So I probably had, you know, two or three glasses of, um, of champagne and I heard my husband was like sorting out. He was doing his meal prepping for the week. So we had all these nuts on the bench, like walnuts and peanuts and everything else. And he was separating them into containers. And I heard him say to me, Nat, can you just come here for a sec in this really strange voice? And I walked down the hallway and my oldest son, who was four at the time, was having an anaphylactic reaction. To- oh, my God. Yes, to the nuts on the bench. And we didn't know that he was allergic to nuts. So this was, we were both just shocked by what we were seeing. But what was happening? What was happening to him? Sorry. (laughs) Okay. He had started to go, um, his lips had started to swell up. His neck was going all red. um, And he was starting to like scratch his face, you know, so that he was coming up in hives and everything. Wow. But for a split second, right before I realised I think exactly how serious it was, I walked down the hallway, you know, I was in my, my bubble up there drinking my champagne alone. I'm an introvert, so I love being alone and, you know, and I walked down the hallway. When I first saw my son, my first thought was, Fuck, does this mean I'm going to have to stop drinking now? <laughs> wow, Yeah. Yeah, that's honest and awesome. Yeah. Like I was pissed. I was annoyed. There's my son having an anaphylactic reaction on the bench and I'm annoyed because I have to stop drinking. And, you know, the thought was only fleeting but it was there Mm -hmm. and that, and just so you know, we called the ambulance. My husband had to take him because I had been drinking. So my husband went with him in the ambulance. Did you tell your husband that you'd been drinking? Is that? Yes. He knew that I'd been drinking. Mm -hmm. So once again, it was wrapped up in me not being able to be there for my son. And I didn't, you know, I didn't look that night. I drank so much, to be honest. It was almost like I was trying to like numb down what I had thought, like trying to sort of push it away. Mm. The next day and in the weeks that followed, you know, I woke up with a hangover the next day feeling rotten and I just knew, I just thought something has to change here. It's just becoming way too important. You know, and when I tell, I've told people that story, I've told friends that story and I don't know if they're just trying to make me feel better, you know, but they say, but that's normal Parents do get shitty when they have to stop drinking because of something their kids have done. They've hurt themselves, blah, blah, blah. And that's fine. And that might be their normal, but I don't want that to be my normal. Mm -hmm. And that was when I got help. Thank you for sharing that because I'm sure so many people can relate to that. Um, Wow. So how did help look for you? How did, what did you do? So I Googled, am I an alcoholic? Wasn't the first (laughs) done that mind you um but I got that myself yes 
many times. Mm-hmm. Um, each time you're trying to find a different answer. You're trying to find the answers no, right? Really. <laughs> Correct. Yeah, that's right. Um, and I found, I actually found the Annie Grace 30-day alcohol experiment. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I did the live alcohol experiment and I spent about three weeks it was sort of really intensely looking at what alcohol does. So I'm a big why person, you know, mm-hmm. uh, I need to know the why behind something. It's not enough for, you, for someone to just say to me, stop drinking. I need the evidence. What is it specifically? What, what, what are all the reasons I should stop drinking? What does it do to my body? What does it do to my brain? What does it do to relationships? And I, I'd never really looked into that before because I didn't really want to know. I wasn't ready then to change my relationship with alcohol. Um, But, yeah, I spent a lot of time, you know, looking into all of that. And then after that month, I tried to moderate for a couple of months. I thought I'll be fine. I know enough for now just to be able to cut down. So I set all the rules for myself, only drink twice a week, only have two or three glasses at a time, never drink on a Sunday, never drink here, never drink there. So I set all the rules. I broke all the rules. And after that that two months, I just thought, you know what, this is just not going to work for me. So I said to myself, I'm going to have an extended break. And I had no idea how long that would be, whether it would be a month, whether it would be a year. But now two years down the track, I still haven't had a drink. Wow. Congratulations. That is amazing. Thank you. That is so awesome. Going, just um, rewinding back a bit to where you said, you know, sitting and and thinking about what's your why. And that's one good thing that people can do that are listening in to just sit there with pen and paper and say, okay, what is my why? You know, how is alcohol affecting all the different parts of my life, my relationships, my finances, my work, my mothering, my fathering, whatever that is. And yeah, how it's affecting everything. And, And once you start writing those things down and actually seeing them, you're like, wow, it's actually not as good as <laughs> what, you know, what I'm, what I'm giving it credit for, you know. That's right. And mm-hmm. I think one of the, my big learnings from that too is learning why some people are more susceptible to alcohol addiction than mm-hmm. others you know, and how like patterns in our lives can make us more susceptible and, you know, watching it as a, as a child, for example, or, mm-hmm. um just the different personality types. I don't know if that's the right word for it, but, you know, that really allowed me to stop beating myself up about it so much. You know, like yeah. it, wasn't, it wasn't just my fault. Alcohol is an addictive substance. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, it's an addictive sub- substance like any other drug, and I needed to give myself a little bit of grace and kindness and remind myself of that constantly oh absolutely and it's just one of the many coping mechanisms that we have and like you say it's so it is a coping mechanism for so many people and it's it's often this whole uh, this whole pattern that we've had since childhood of just blocking things out and those patterns sort of going through to adulthood and then hey presto when we drink alcohol and we get this dopamine hit from it and that feels good and it's also fucking so addictive Definitely agree to the more trauma someone's been through, even the small traumas, you know, not being able to attune with the parent properly mm. is a huge, that's huge for a child and seeing it, seeing it as a, as, as a kid. Mm. I remember same in my family, it was so much alcohol as well. 
mm. a lot of drinking, a lot of, a lot of parties in the eighties. And I remember like mum drinking things like cream de month. Yeah. Remember that? That's yeah. Like, and I loved it. And I remember being quite young and like having little sips of it and thinking, wow, that's, I cannot wait to be old enough to, you know, drink that. I have that in a special drink, um, Kahlua and milk and having little sips of those. They just, yes. and it felt so grown up. I as remember well. um, my mum used to love having a gin and tonic and she used to have a slice of cucumber in it. And it was a big treat that I was allowed to eat the slice of cucumber, you know, so I would eat the cucumber that had been in the gin and tonic and oh. it was like quite fancy. And yeah, we had neighbours actually that used to make those cream de month pineapples. Did you ever have that where you like hollow out a pineapple and slice it into cubes and then you pour cream de month on the pineapple? Oh my God. I know. And the pineapple like soaks in all the alcohol and then you just pick out bits and eat it. And we, just, we were eight or something like just oh my God. ridiculous mm-hmm. but, um yeah it's crazy isn't it the way you look back and I think mm-hmm. you know it's to stop the I don't know if I'm using the right word here but that those generational like cycles yeah like, you know that's the fact that this will stop with me yeah means a lot to me and it's like my kids you know my husband he still drinks every now and then in a very healthy way in once again in inverted commas if there is a healthy way to drink but he doesn't he has a very neutral relationship with alcohol he can take it or leave it mm-hmm. um and i'm just really relieved that my boys are going to grow up watching that you know a healthy relationship with alcohol being modeled um, so that when they're old enough, they can make their own decisions and they're not being swayed either way. Absolutely. I feel like the same, exactly the same way about my girls. Like I just think, well, I'm, they're not being modelled this behaviour of this is how I cope with things or this is how I'm only going to feel better and, you know, until I have, uh, you know, I'm stressed and I'll feel better once I have my drink or, you know, fun mummy comes out when I've had a few, I, you know, that, that's not there. Mm. And they, they'll see a completely different way of coping and, and how to do life without this thing to kind of lean on. And it's such, oh, so one of the things, I'm just so grateful for that, that my girls don't have to experience that. It's yeah. huge for me. Yeah, it is, especially mm-hmm. in this day and age. I mean, I think it's always been a dangerous thing to drink to a high level, but there just seems to be so, so many other ways to get yourself in trouble while drunk these days, don't you think? Oh, my God, yes. Social media wasn't around back in the day. Yeah. <laughs> Mobile phones. Like, fuck, I hide my phone on myself all the time when I was drinking because yeah. I'd always be ringing people and, you know, God, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I just feel so bad. But, yeah, um, so that's just so amazing. And so how how did you go day to day? Like, obviously, you had cravings. So how how are we handling those? Well, actually, that's really where um, the mindful mocktail comes into it because Ooh. the for starters, but, you know, the mindful mocktail aside, um, yeah, I don't want anyone to think that I just educated myself on alcohol for a month and all of a sudden I'm alcohol free for two years and it's just that easy. It's definitely not. Um, mm-hmm. We were coming into COVID, so I stopped drinking in. February right before we were coming into that you know the two years of the pandemic 
And it was actually the drinking at home alone that always worried me the most. I wasn't really concerned about my social drinking so much, but this need to always drink when I was alone to cope or to deal with basically to self-soothe. I was using it as soothing, um, yeah, as a way to soothe. Um, And then, of course, I found myself at home alone with the kids for months on end coming into the pandemic. And really it was during that time that, God, it was a hard time. I would have cravings most days. Um, I thought about drinking a lot And really to combat that, I took sort of that energy and I put it into the mindful mocktail. I was really missing, you know, my 5pm drink, you know, or my 3pm drink or my 1pm drink or whatever it was that day. Um, And I'd always been, you know, a bit of a foodie at heart. I loved flavour pairing and things like that. So, and I had this like gorgeous herb garden that I was growing, you know, with the pandemic and everything, I sort of did a few things around the house. So one day I just started experimenting with non-alcoholic cocktails um, and I just, I really enjoyed it. You know, I loved being creative and trying to come up with new, like different syrups and things like that. So I started creating these recipes and then I would send the recipes to friends and family and then they would try them out and they gave really great feedback. And it was sort of like I was channeling all of that, you know, that energy or that so-called, you know, boredom, for want of a better term, into something of my own. You know, I'd never really had something something of my own before like that. And it's interesting, you know, because I've heard a lot about or read a lot about, you know, boredom and how important it is to be bored. And, you know, it was actually a quote by Annie Grace and she says, you know, all creativity happens on the other side of boredom. And when I was drinking, I'd never had the time to be bored, you know, because I would stand there and I would drink and I would numb, numb out and, you know, all the rest of it. And I just think all of these years it was probably just suppressing my creativity, you know, the creativity bone from coming out. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, Paul Kelly says the same thing. And Ash, when he goes into to songwrite, and this came from Paul Kelly, is cut off from all social media, all forms of any form of stimulation of yep. any sort and get yourself really bored and therefore then you can create. Yeah. And that makes you create so much better. So I completely relate to that. And I've never looked at it like that too, but it's you're so spot on that being drunk, it is filling up that that. Yeah, it's making you not bored. So then it's therefore squashing your creativity, even though creatives think that it it enhances their creativity. Yes. And look, in some cases it may enhance, but for someone like me, I never gave myself the opportunity to be creative. And I think that that was really the thing. Um, And you know, believe it or not, before I started the Mindful Mocktail, I'd never even picked up a camera before. You know, I knew nothing about photography, nothing about videography. Um, and I really think if I had still been drinking, I never would have been able to like tap into that and, you know, learn more about all of those things because I was usually either drinking or recovering from a hangover. And, you know, I, I never had the, the mental space, I suppose, to be able to take on anything else. 
Yeah, it's amazing because the alcohol takes up so much of that space and I often find that people, once they've stopped and once they sort of get over the initial kind of hurdle of just getting through, there's all these paths that they can take yeah. and this creativity just comes alive in people. Do you have a cookbook? I don't, but it's on the list. I would love to create a cookbook. There is a free ebook on the website though. Right, yes. Um, yeah, that people can grab, but no, I don't have a cookbook yet. One day. Oh, that would, yeah. Do we call it a cookbook? What do we call it? A... Yeah, yeah, it's a cookbook. Recipe book. Recipe, recipe book, yeah. And it also, yeah, I was going to say this at the end, but now's a good time, I guess. Your website is? So the website is mindfulmocktail.com. Yes, and if you head to the website, all of my recipes are there. Um, there are some articles that I've written about my drinking journey. Um, there's a free ebook there. And, yeah, it's just it's a very bright, colourful place on the internet. It just makes me happy. It's, a, it's like a dopamine website. You know how they talk about oh, yes. dopamine dressing? Yes, yeah. I'm a dopamine dresser. And, yes, um, you'll see in all of my photos lots of nice, bright colours there. Oh, that's so cool. Good on you. It's such an important thing too. When people are early on in their journey, when they get to that time where they're triggered, I always say to people that I'm coaching, like fill up your, your fridge with all the alcohol-free options that you can think This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Think of all, everything, and so that you've got everything at your fingertips to make yourself a really beautiful drink. Just don't pour yourself kombucha into a, you know, plastic cup or something like that make it beautiful i'll even say to people go and buy some new glassware that's specific for your beautiful new drink Mm -hmm. and still go and have your beautiful drink it just doesn't have alcohol in it it's just not taking you offline and i would say to people sit and enjoy your drink maybe take a few deep relaxing breaths especially if you're thinking that you're someone who drinks to relax well, we can do that. You know, we can stimulate the parasympathetic nervous system and slow down just by breathing in for four and out for eight have your drink and you just ah, you still give yourself permission to take that time to just slow down and sit there with your beautiful drink, but make it beautiful. Why not? I really see it as, you know, it's almost a form of self-care. So having still that moment in the day that is just yours, you know, I used to stand there with the wine bottle and pop the cork and that was sort of my dopamine spiking straight away. But now it's, you know, as you can get creative, you can make the drink, um, as you say, make it look pretty. And a lot of my recipes are healthy, you know, low sugar and healthy. And I love that idea. You know, they do have healthy kombuchas or apple cider vinegar in place of uh, your alcohol. So it's self-care. You're standing there, you're drinking a beautiful drink. 
Are you drinking a glass of health, something that's making you healthy from the inside out? And as you say, taking those deep breaths and just use it as a moment, even if it's just five minutes out of your day to just do something for you. It's like, it's like a ceremony, really is. Instead of the yeah. ceremony of popping the cork and pouring the wine, you're making yourself something nice instead. Yeah, and you are mindful whilst you're yeah. doing it. Yes, that's right. Exactly. I love that. And like you say, like so many of these drinks, they're sugar-free too. And they're like our podcast sponsor is Monday Distillery and they have the most beautiful drinks and they're sugar-free and they've got all these beautiful botanicals and, and beautiful things in them that just make you feel really lovely. They even like make your tummy feel warm. So it's just amazing, all these spices and things. To And etch sparkling, they're another, you know, they use the beautiful botanicals and no sugar. And you're drinking something that's actually good for you as well. That's right. There's so many amazing options. Even if you go back two years when I started the Mindful Mocktail, one of the reasons I started it was because I couldn't find many pre-bottled options that were low sugar, relatively good for you, nice and hydrating. I mean, now in the last two years, the industry has just come ahead in leaps and bounds. So there are so many options. If you're not one of those people that can be bothered with making syrups or, you know, making your own drink, it, it is just as easy to, you know, pop the lid off something and, and still have something really beautiful and good for you as well. I love that. Yeah, I love that. Do you ever do like Instagram lives, like on a Friday night, making a mocktail? Someone said that to me the other day. I really should, shouldn't I? I should. It would be so fun. Yeah, it would. It would. Can you please do that? I would love you to do that. It would like you could jump online. We could all, all in sober community, we could all share about it yeah. and get a ton of people online. And if we knew what ingredients we needed in advance, yeah. And it'd be like a little meetup slash learn how to make a mocktail. Yeah, you know, it would be quite fun. Yeah, I love that. Um, I don't know if you know Thrivalist Sobriety. Yes, I know of them. Yeah. Yes, yeah, but a few other um, people have had me in to do masterclasses and things like that, and they're just always so much fun. Everyone lines up with their ingredients and can make the drink while I show them how to do it. It's I love fun. that. That's yeah. so cool. Yes, yeah, that would be really, really fun. So did you find that that was enough? So you're getting the craving and you're sort of mindfully making yourself these beautiful drinks and giving yourself that permission to take that time for yourself. Was that kind of enough to get you through the craving? Sometimes, yes. Sometimes I'd have to pick up a book. I'm huge on quit lit. (laughs) So I would pick up a book and I would, it was almost as a reminder, you know, I would remind myself why I was doing what I was doing. Sober Community Online has been just incredible Mm -hmm. Um, because I've just made connections with so many people and especially back in the beginning it was so comforting to know that there was someone there you know to message and say oh I'm having a really hard day today I'm forgetting why I'm doing this and having someone there to remind you and I just think you know connection and making making connections with people who are in the same boat as you are just so important early on to be able to lean on those people yeah, absolutely. A community makes all the difference. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Have you seen the thing Victoria Vanstone? Yes. Is that just, cuppa? Yes, I just signed up yesterday. It looks fantastic. I know. I love that. So that all these people, everyone can come together and, and have that sense of community and share and ideas and inspire each other and share resources. It's so cool. I love that it's a um, it's a free resource as I well. Know. Amazing. Insane. Absolutely amazing. Yeah, it's going to be something pretty huge, I think. 
I think so too. I actually just had her on the podcast. We did a midweek episode just to talk about Kappa and it was really cool. And she's hilarious. I love, I love Vic. She's a crack up. She's yeah. good value. So I love that. You know, I love that you're making yourself a nice drink. You're t- still taking time out for yourself. If that's not working, it's like, okay, next thing. Okay. I'll pick up some Quitlet or I'll reach out to my community and someone remind me of my why. I think that's really amazing. Like remind, even if that's just yourself, remind yourself of your why, why you're doing this. Mm-hmm. and and then see how you feel at the end of it it's, and like a craving doesn't last that long no and yeah it, it's a period of minutes really if I can just get past that 10 minutes yeah. and I think it's really just about I know I'm not really looking for the drink it's not really what I'm looking for if you yeah. just take a moment to stand there and really try and tune in and think what is it that I need right now? Yes. Hallelujah. If I'm looking for a drink, it's not the drink. It's something else. Yeah. Trying to figure out what that is. And once again, back when I was drinking, I never asked myself that question. I always just thought I wanted the drink. I didn't know myself back then. I still don't know myself as well as I want to now. I'm like a continuous work in progress, but now to be able to stand there and think to myself, what is it that you need, Nat? Because it's not about the alcohol. You know, there's something else that is missing or there's something else you need right now. Um, and, gosh, it just, you just, I just know myself so much better now. I love that so much. I've been talking about it a bit recently and just that what is it that I'm actually craving? Mm-hmm. And it's, it's never the alcohol. It's usually the escape from something that you that you're craving and what is it what is it that I really need Mm. and oftentimes it's just I need a hug or I need to just um, soothe myself I need some soothing and the soothing doesn't have to be in the form of alcohol because that's not kind it's not that's not taking the kind option for yourself so it could be a a beautiful warm bath or a beautiful mocktail or a cup of hot chocolate you know calling a friend sometimes if I'm really needing some soothing and I'll, I'll wrap myself up in a like a shawl and I'll put some essential oils on my shawl and just wrap myself up tight and just, I don't know, just like I'm giving myself a hug because, you know, we still need soothing even when we're sober. Mm. And, yeah, so just tapping in and finding out what it is that I'm actually needing. And I love how you said that. Actually made my eyes start singing. I was just getting a little bit emotional because I think that's what it's all about, Nat, like figuring out what is it I really need, what am I needing right now. Mm. And I think if, if everyone could tune into that, then things would be a lot different. Absolutely. And, you know, it's interesting, just going back to the sober community side of things for a minute, it's so amazing what happens when you put yourself out there and tell a story. You know, I've had so many people say to me, you don't look like the kind of person that would have had a problem with alcohol. You know, I don't even know what that person looks like. What does that look like? (laughs) (laughs) Interesting when people say things like that. I don't. I don't know what that means, but um, I think this is the thing, isn't it, about being honest on a social platform. I know that it's not for everybody, but being honest on a social platform about our struggles with things that are extremely personal and it's that whole thing about, you know, connection. It's like being vulnerable is the key to connecting with people. All of a sudden I found it was like this wave. It was like the Me Too moment. 
but for alcohol. So many people messaging me saying, me too, me too. I had phone calls from people I used to go to school with, from people I used to work with that I hadn't spoken to in years saying, I cannot believe that this is your story because this is mine too. And to be honest, I never even thought to question it until you came out and said, hey, maybe this isn't the way things should be. Yeah, wow. And it's just been such an amazing ride. You know, once upon a time I was just that. I liked being the picture perfect. Everything's fine here. There's nothing to see. You know, no flaws. Everything's great. But the more, yeah, you talk about those tough moments like, you know, when my son had the allergic reaction and that horrible first thought that I had or hiding in the cupboard, drinking the wine, the more people you connect with because it's not an uncommon story. This happens all the time, every day to hundreds of thousands, probably millions of people. And I, I get that too, just that me too. Yeah, I, that's what this podcast is about so that someone can listen and go, fuck, that's me as well. I can relate. And now I don't feel so fucking shameful. Yeah. And like you said earlier before we started recording, how you said that previously you might have felt embarrassed to, to share your story, but now you feel really proud to share your story. And I think that's so beautiful too. Mm-hmm. And it's a big thing to get over too, that embarrassment and that shame that we feel. Yeah. Well, one of my favourite quotes is, I can't remember, so this isn't word for word, but it's something along the lines of we need to recover loudly so that other people don't suffer silently. Oh, wow. That's awesome. You know, we need to be Mm -hmm. vocal about our challenges and, you know, how tough we find things um, because otherwise everyone just stays quiet nobody nobody's honest about it and I just think I just think we're so much better than that absolutely and in that honesty once you can actually be honest I think that's when you can make some serious changes when you be become like you said earlier you were lying to yourself you're hiding from yourself when we can just be honest and just go this is this is this is not cool for me. I'm feeling so inauthentic and, and all the things that you feel. I'm feeling all this shame and embarrassment and really honestly feeling, you know, really crap. I'm just being honest about how we feel mm. about it. Then we can start to make changes. Mm. I was talking to someone, who was it? Oh, I, I did a coaching session with someone yesterday who happens to be a friend of a friend of mine and she was drinking with this friend of a friend of mine last week and this this friend of ours, this mutual friend, I got absolutely paralytic with her and a couple of other friends. I invited them around for dinner one night. And, you know, sometimes you get a bit nervous too because they're like the sort of peripheral friends. They were like right in my circle. And so they came and we, we drank a lot and we were making cocktails and things like that. And I ended up like vomiting all over the place and vomiting in the, the bathroom and then passing out on the couch, making one of them pat my head. <laughs> And I remember afterwards just like seeing them afterwards. I think they left. I can't I can't even remember the end of the night. But just always laughing about it and saying, Oh, wasn't that? But deep down, just feeling so, 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 so embarrassed. And I didn't even want to face them. And I thought the only way I can face them is to make jokes about it. So that's what I did. And that this was my pattern always. Just like joke about it, laugh about it, but all the while just feeling like, oh, on the inside. So that was one of the probably first time, one of of the earlier on times where I was like starting to get more honest with myself. No, this is not what I want. This is is not making me feel good. This is not cool. 
mm. and getting honest. So getting honest is huge, hey? Oh, it's huge. It's mm. funny you say that too because around the time I we had this incident with my son, I went to, do you know the Red Hot Summer Tour? You know, John Farnham. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. So my friend and I, we would go there every year and it was very soon after this incident with Nathan that we had these tickets to go. And in my head, I had already known, okay, this something's not right here with my relationship with alcohol. Things are going to need to change. And I said to my friend who I go with every year, listen, I think I'm just going to drive this year because something's not sitting well with me with the alcohol and I, I've got a few things I need to figure out. And anyway, friends, as friends do, bless her heart, said, look, let's just, you know, give it a last hurrah. You know, it's going to be a great day. Let's just have a few drinks so we can wind down and all the rest of it. So anyway, I ended up drinking. Well, that was the last hangover that I have ever had and also one of the biggest. I ended up drinking nonstop all day, which I had done before, mind you. So I I think this experience was almost like my body telling me that's it, Nat, you've had enough. Like something had changed in my brain in regards to how I thought about alcohol. Something had just switched ever so slightly I ended up drinking all day, vomiting in the Uber on the way home, spending hundreds of dollars and then another few hundred dollars fixing the issues with the Uber, with the cleaning and everything. I think the whole day cost me almost $1,000. And then shit, shit. And then the next day, it was so close to Christmas, I was due to go Christmas shopping for all my kids' Christmas presents. And I could not get out of bed. It was so bad I thought my drink had been spiked. And it was so strange because I had I had drunk to that level before, but I had never felt like that. And I really think that was my last huge hangover and I think that was my body's way of saying, all right, Nat, enough. This is it. Wow. Did you stop like straight after? Was, was that literally it? Yeah. I think, I look, I, I remember I drank for one other a wine with a friend over as like a FaceTime call when we were in lockdown, but I half-heartedly drank half a glass and I just thought, I just don't, I just don't want this anymore. I need to be away from this to figure out what kind of relationship I want with it. And turns out I, I don't want a relationship with it. Yeah. Time to break up. Time to break up. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. When the switch flicks too, when you start to realize that this is, this is, this is not cool. Yeah. It's, um, it's that whole thing about you can plant the seed, but you can never make someone hear a message they're not ready to hear. Yeah. That was me. For so many years, I knew that there was something wrong, but I just wasn't ready. I wasn't ready to hear it. You know, the universe was probably giving me signs all over the place, but I just wasn't in the right frame of mind to be able to receive those messages. But that December, something just happened. I had a couple of situations one after the other and the universe was screaming so loudly at me. I just, I had to listen. Yeah. And it's about listening, isn't it? Do you think if your son hadn't have had that anaphylactic reaction, this would have happened? Do you know what? I think it still would have, because if it wasn't that, I think it would have been something else. Mm -hmm. Um, because my, 
my the voices in my head or my soul or my intuition or whatever it is you want to call it, just my gut, had been telling me for a long time that the way I drank wasn't quite right and they were getting louder as the years went on, louder and louder as my drinking got worse. Something's not right here, Nat. So, yeah, eventually they just they were screaming at me so loud I would have had to put headphones on to ignore them any further. <laughs> Oh my God. I just had this fuller moment of just like, fuck, yes. And I, I remember feeling the same. And you just articulated it so beautifully, just that feeling in the gut of just like, this isn't right. This isn't right. And I don't want this. And, but not listening, not listening to the gut. And you're right. You have to get to a point where you're ready to listen. Mm. You know, thank fuck we listened. That's all I can think. Thank God I listened finally and just thought, no, I'm going to, tr- I'm going to try something else here because this is not working. Well, speaking of listening, I'll just tell you one one quick story. So my mum, she is, so she was 67 when I started on, you know, when I stopped drinking and she was still drinking most days. And after a few months, she saw what a difference it was making to me. And she's, my mum is awesome. Like she's always just been really curious about it, you know, asking me lots of questions and tell me about it and how do you feel now? And, and she said to me lots of times, you know, I'm just so grateful that you had this epiphany, Nat, and that you were strong enough to, to you know, to sort of move forward and just ignore what the outside world was saying that drinking's normal and just realise that, okay, the way you were drinking was not. Anyway, one day she rang me and she said, that's it, I'm going to stop drinking too. <laughs> and oh, wow. I could not believe what I was hearing and we worked out that it had been more than 50 years since she'd had more than a two-week break of alcohol. That makes sense. Wow. So like a 50-year period, she'd never had more than two weeks break. Even when she was pregnant, her obstetrician. I was going to say, what about pregnant? No. Nope. So back in the day, mum used to, she was, I'm a twin, so she was carrying twins and she was quite nervous about it and they tried to get pregnant for a long time. And her obstetrician knew that she used to drink every day and he said to her, oh, listen, booze is better for the baby than anxiety. So keep drinking. Oh my god! <laughs> to soothe your nerves. I mean, and now these days, come on, we know that booze causes anxiety. Mm-hmm. So got some terrible medical advice. So drank drank quite a bit, not not in excess, but would have one or two drinks here and there throughout her pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So she, which meant that she'd gone for more than fifty years without having a decent break from alcohol, and now she hasn't had a drink for over a year. Oh my god. Incredible. I have to get her on the podcast. You have to. She's amazing. You would love her. <laughs> oh, you have to get us in contact. That would be awesome. How cool. It's just like inspiring people like that in your own family. And it's so cool. I'm still working on my family members, just subtly. <laughs> They're just not ready to hear it. That's right. In the seed, but not ready to hear it. It's yeah. With my mum, I never said to her, you should stop drinking. Or I know none of us would really do that. I don't like to be very forceful about these things I think people just have to watch and decide whether they want to they want to take it on and in this case my mum really did 
Wow, that is amazing. And how did she go? Like early on, well, I'm sure we'll hear about it when she comes on the podcast, but was it hard for her? Like that's a big, that's a long, 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 long time of drinking and that adjustment is massive. Do you know what? I think for her, I don't think she has the same sort of addictive personality as what I do. I think my mm-hmm. dad and I are very similar and mum always sort of just drank because it was there and it was a habit. I think it was for her, it was a habit more than an addiction. Whereas for me, it was that combination of addiction and habit. Right. It's just full-blown addiction, isn't it? I feel like we have these different tiers. So with mum, it was really just a habit and she's such a determined woman. When she puts her mind to something, that's pretty much it. She she rang me that day. She said, I'm not going to drink again, and I believed her straight away. I'd said it before many times over the years and never followed through with it, but I knew when she said it she, she would bloody do it. She did. That is just so awesome. It's so cool when you can inspire your, um, your, you know, your family members, your friends. I've got a few friends that I went to high school with and, and even primary school with that are now not drinking, although they're even getting more and more sober curious. Some of them, one of them has just joined my last challenge and that was interesting. I'm like, no, no, you can't join. <laughs> I think I said to her, no. <laughs> But she did anyway, and um, and and it's just been great. It's such a great way to connect and take the relationship even a step further too. You, you understand, you know, there's that different understanding and a different level of connection that you have with those people too. So that's amazing, and yeah, good on good on you, and good on your mum. That's just so huge. So, what would you say to people who are, you know, on the edge a bit, having those questions, feeling not right in their gut? about drinking but feeling a bit fearful of what might lay on the other side? I can only speak from my perspective, but for me, everything changed when I started educating myself on what alcohol actually does to our bodies. Yes. Mm -hmm. What the side effects of so-called moderate drinking actually are. Once I started to educate myself on these things, I was shocked really at what I found No one talks about the fact that alcohol increases our risk of cancer, you know, breast cancer in women. No one talks about the fact that alcohol causes depression and anxiety and is one of, you know, the biggest killers of this modern age. Mm -hmm. We don't talk about it because it's very uncomfortable to hear because it's such a difference to how we're used to thinking about alcohol, which is caught up in celebrations and good times and weddings and parties and everything else. That's right. No one wants to be the party pooper. No one wants to be that person. I'm sorry Mm. to be that person, but it's the truth. So I think more than ever we're aware of our health, both our mental and physical health. I think even if you're listening to this podcast, you're one of those people. Mm -hmm. I would say just look into it. Just start educating yourself on Absolutely, yeah. what it does to our body. And then at least if nothing else, you can make an informed decision about how you want to move forward. Exactly. Is it on your is it on your website where you've got what it looks like or the benefits of drinking, not drinking for one month? Is that on your website? That's actually on my Instagram. So if you go Instagram. to my, my Instagram reels, yes. So I've done lots of research into the benefits of not drinking for what happens to our bodies after one week, two weeks three weeks, a month, and then I did one for three months as well. And it goes through all of the benefits, what alcohol actually does to our bodies and then what happens when we have this break. I love that. And so your Instagram is just at the, at the Mindful Mocktail. Yes, that's right. If you search the Mindful Mocktail, you'll find me there. 
Yeah. And your website once again? Is mindfulmocktail.com. Beautiful. That's amazing. That if you could go back in time and, and perhaps let's just say like just before you had the babies, what advice would you give that version of you? I would really say just be kinder to yourself. I think so much of my drinking happened because I was trying to be everything to everyone. I was trying to be the perfect person and, not, you know, not have any flaws or um, I don't know if I'm explaining that very well, but I think so much of my drinking came from this, bef- like this need, this perfectionism in my life. Um, and I would drink as a way to sort of self-soothe and take away all my problems because I didn't, you know, I didn't want to admit to myself that I had them. So I'd say be kind to yourself and listen to your intuition more. Instead of picking up the wine glass, just try and sit there with that discomfort and ask yourself what you really need because it's not the booze. Yes, that's so perfect. Um, Yeah, that's just so beautifully said. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story and just for being so honest. Amazing. And thank you for what you're doing in the sober community, just inspiring people and giving them ideas and and showing that, you know, it can be exciting, can be fun, can be, you know, you can still have beautiful drinks. You know, you can have it all. Yeah, absolutely. It's such a pleasure. It was so nice to speak to you. You too, Nat. Amazing. Thank you so much. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.